politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and forgotten American taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house for our grand finale of the week on Friday. We love our Fridays, February 21st. It has been a long week. It has been a productive week. Thanks to you guys making this a fast-growing show. Um, Thanks so much for sending the show around. Our numbers are up, and our influence is growing. You could hear it in my voice. I've been frustrated the last couple weeks, but I really do feel that this week, our voice has gotten out. Um, Clearly, this amnesty bill, again, H.R. 5038, we are hitting back at it. There is awareness, and that is the biggest thing we can do is raise awareness. You know why? Because the views we espouse here, we might call it conservative review, but they truly are universal. And that's why I pride myself on being an independent conservative, because I think most people, if they actually thought about the issues and they would know what's going on, they would agree with you and me. Because most people, especially, especially those with families, live lives of independent conservatives they might not know it or realize it but they certainly do and that's why all we have to do is just raise awareness of what is actually going on and i think the policy will follow because people agree and that is why it is so important to slay golden calves that's what we do here there is no sacred golden calf here And the worst thing you can do is become a Teletubby click conservative defeat mechanism and subscribe to Golden Calves. Because the worst thing you could do is stifle awareness that there's a problem. You can't solve a problem if you're not aware or acknowledging that it exists. And one of the biggest Golden Calves that I've been trying to slay is this problem problem of judicial supremacism and this notion that we're somehow winning back the judiciary when it's worse than ever. And this premise that all we have to do is not delegitimize judicial supremacism as we should be doing and saying, look, the courts do not have the final say over fundamentally political issues and all branches are equal. Really, Republicans need to put their capital or a sane conservative party, because Republicans aren't conservative, into the truth of decompartmentalism, decompartmentalism and not judicial supremacism, that all three branches are equal, albeit the executive and legislature have a greater ability to enact their view of the Constitution. But the minute you agree to judicial supremacism, you lost the game. This this uh, promise that somehow, oh, yeah, we're going to outsource legislation to the courts. The courts will get to be the final arbiter of life, marriage, election law, sovereignty, even immigration law. You name it, whatever it is, they are the arbiter of what is a right and what is not a right. No other branch has has opportunity to get involved in that. But you know what? We're going to somehow beat the left at their own game and we'll appoint good judges. And the good judges will be the arbiters for our direction. Okay. (laughs) Now, those of you who are already graduates of our advanced course here fully understand this issue. But nonetheless, I'm going to give you a real life example that perfectly proves this, that will give you a PhD level of our independent conservatism here. That nobody in this wretched federalist society, phony conservative legal movement seems to understand, but it's clear as day if you take a look at what just happened. Very few are going to talk about this today, so listen very carefully. Yesterday, there was big news that the Fifth Circuit upheld the district judge, a radical district judge, Tate Reeves, Carlton Reeves, this, uh, Radical guy. You could Google my name and and Reeves from Mississippi, and you'll see I have a whole thing on him. Upheld his 
decision, quote, striking down Mississippi's ban on abortion, uh, their heartbeat bill after five, six or so weeks. And there's all these people that think, oh, my gosh, we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. We're going to get a conservative Supreme Court. We're going to, you know, we might even get another pick next time. Two picks. I mean, we could we just have it for life. And there's something people don't understand. The capacity of a good judge to do good is nowhere near the capacity of a bad judge to do bad. Once you accede to the premise of this judicial veto, that it's legitimate that courts have such power to grant standing to random like third party abortion groups. It's not like there was a, a pregnant woman who was five weeks pregnant and wanted an abortion. She got standing. It's just this bogus third party standing to abstractly veto legislation, which literally doesn't exist. It's a fiction, a dangerous fiction that needs to be debunked. But nonetheless, 100% of Republicans agree to it. They actually fuel the premise of it by, by frenetically and frantically pushing to get our judges nominated. Well, what happens when you get your judges nominated? So again, in order to understand this, you need to comprehend the difference between a lower court conservative judge and a lower court liberal judge. And then you need to understand the nature of most of these Republican judges we are putting on the Supreme Court. And you, when you mix the two together, you will understand the trajectory and velocity of legislation percolating in the lower courts and what the Supreme Court does and doesn't do. And, and then you'll understand why judicial supremacism is necessarily, in our political system, a one-way ratchet and a dead-end one-way street for conservatives. And we're always going to lose the minute we agree to the legitimacy of it. So rather than putting all of our capital into this notion that, oh, somehow we're going to change over the judiciary by appointing better judges, it's better to cut a deal and delegitimize the entire premise of judicial supremacism. And I'm going to talk about that opportunity for that deal. But first, this abortion case. The reason why this is so important is because it slays the golden calf. So you have this crazy judge in Mississippi, right? Struck down. Okay. Well, Mississippi is under the auspices of the Fifth Circuit. That, that governs the um, judicial cases out of, from the district courts out of Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. This is a court that was always regarded as more conservative. And under Trump, the notion was that we, we really did a number on it, and we appointed a lot of really good judges, and we have a supermajority of conservative judges on that court. And certainly relative to what comes out of the you know, ninth and the fourth and the second and the third and the first and many other circuits, uh, except for the eighth, which I think is slightly better than the fifth, it, it is relatively better. But nonetheless, yesterday, the Fifth Circuit Court upheld this injunction in full, unanimously three to nothing. Why is this important? Now, it was kind of an anomaly that they actually drew two out of the three judges were Democrat appointees, which is rare to get such a draw on the current orientation of the, of the Fifth Circuit. But the third judge who joined along was none other than Judge Jim Ho. Now, as many of you know, my buddy Josh Hammer, who's my brother in arms in fighting judicial supremacism, he clerked for Judge Ho, Trump appointee. Judge Ho is about as good of a judge as you're going to get. I mean, if you want as close to Clarence Thomas as you could get, that's Judge Ho. So, I mean, most of them are not as good as him. These, you know, Trump appointees, Republican appointees. But nonetheless, even Judge Ho joined with this ruling. Why? The answer is obvious. Because at the end of the day, once you start with the premise that the Supreme Court precedent of Casey and Roe, that there's a right to an abortion, is true, you could nibble around the edges and say whether late-term abortion is included in the Roe decision, which of course is illegitimate. But I'm just saying, once you take that as, as a premise that you have to follow it, which every lower court judge will do, you really can't say that this is included. There's no way it is. And... Um, Basically, the court said we just upheld an injunction against Mississippi's 15 ab abortion ban after 15 weeks. So certainly one after six weeks. 
right? It was a very short two-page per curiam opinion, and Judge Ho signed on to it. Now, there's no doubt in my mind, if you put Judge Ho on a Supreme Court level where he feels he could overturn that press, and he would, I, I do think he would, I do think he is the, in the mold of Clarence Thomas in that way. But the reality is two things. Right now, we only have one Clarence Thomas. We only have one certain vote on overturning Roe. We only have one, okay? I don't know what Gorsuch and Alito would do, but I don't want to find out. And I know what Roberts and Kavanaugh would do. They, they wouldn't even overturn Hellerstat. Some of the regulations on, the, like the Gosnell regulations, on the, the health standards and the clinics and the doctors, right? That, that, the, they, they made it that pretty clear already. They would not overturn that. Forget about Rowan Casey, Gorsuch and, and, and um, what's his name? Uh, Alito, you, you, you would assume they would overturn Hellerstat, but I really have my doubts about Roe. So Ho is kind of like Thomas, but that's number one on the Supreme Court. But on the lower courts, here's the reality. The capacity of a good judge to do good is nowhere near the capacity of a bad judge to do bad. All of these lower courts, these these radical opinions we're seeing every day that illegals have this right and that right to sue, to, to sue ICE, to demand this, to demand that, to demand all sorts of rights to not get deported in contravention to 130 years of uninterrupted Supreme Court opinions, including Trump v. Hawaii that just, just was uh, uh, decided two years ago. What do you think they are? They are violations of Supreme Court precedent. Lower court liberal judges have no problem doing that. The reality is there is not a single conservative judge alive, including Judge Ho, that will do that. And I'm not even uh, expecting them to do that. What I am expecting is at least we push back against the lower court uh, ju judges on the left violating Supreme Court precedent, and that we do expect that our picks at the Supreme Court will overturn bad precedent, and more fundamentally, that we all move away from the concept that whatever they decide on a political issue is supreme over the other branches. Self-executing and universally binding. But the reality is, there is no conservative lower court judge around that will do what the left does and say, screw you to the Supreme Court precedent. That is the lesson of this thing, okay? That's the first point I want you guys to understand. You're not gonna get better than Judge Ho, and I'm not criticizing him, I understand. He's not, clearly, the Mississippi law is in violation of Roe and Casey. Now, Roe and Casey are crap and violation of the Constitution, and Mississippi is absolutely right to enact it, but I'm just telling you, you're not gonna get a conservative lower court judge ruling directly against it, which in this case, it would be against Supreme Court precedent, whether you like it or not. But the left does it all the time. That is your one-way ratchet. Why? It's just, that's how it is. You know, they're, they're for law and order and they believe they're bound by Supreme Court opinions. Now, that gets a little complicated because um, you know how I believe the other branches have the right and indeed the obligation to push back against the Supreme Court when they believe they have the correct interpretation. Um, the question is, what about lower courts? So the truth be told, there is a guy, Professor Michael Paulson, I admire a lot. Um, you can Google Michael Paulson, Judicial Supremacism. He has a lot of good law review articles on it, and he's on our side. He actually takes it a step further and says, that everyone swears an oath to the Constitution, and therefore even lower court judges. If you have a case that comes in front of you, let's say, hey, I want to, I want to say, um, you know, Mississippi's law is unconstitutional. Well, what does the Constitution say? There's a right, right to an abortion. No, it actually doesn't say that. So Mississippi could do that. Well, there's a Supreme Court precedent. So what? Now, obviously, the Supreme Court is supreme in the sense that you could appeal to them and they could reverse you and they will reverse you in that case. So it's going to ultimately be futile practically, but his point is you do have an obligation at that moment to rule with the Constitution, and I don't disagree with it. I'm just saying the reality is nobody's going to do that. Whereas the left all the time, they're like, this is immoral. I don't believe in this. We're not doing this. Folks, folks, take a look at the asymmetry, the one-way ratchet, the one-way street, the dichotomy between liberal and conservative judges. 
there is a Supreme Court case called Humphreys. Okay. Um, a lot of people never heard of it. And uh, trying to remember what the case was. His name was Laud Humphreys. Um, it was in Minnesota, and I, I can't remember just the name of the case. Um, it will come back to me one day, but you could look it up. Just look up Humphreys, Minnesota, gay marriage. And I wish I, I'm sorry I didn't prepare this before the show. I said it before. I think it was 1979. The court ruled on gay marriage, whether states have to recognize the same sex, yada, yada relationship as a marriage. And it was nine to zero. No. Now, everyone remembers, oh, in 2015, Oberger fell overturned that. But people forget there's an important detail here. And it's a detail that's going to have bearings on my second point, which will work together with my first point, that lower court conservative judges will never go against precedent, and demonstrate to you why we are never going to overturn any of the bad previous stuff. And in fact, we're going to continue adding new bad stuff, and the Supreme Court's going to let that stand in many, many cases. So... Obergefell courts, you know, cases don't start in the Supreme Court. Obergefell didn't create gay marriage. 90% of lower courts for several years prior to 2015, everything except for the Sixth Circuit, district and appellate level, including many GOP appointees, ruled that gay marriage is a constitutional right. Now, freeze frame, you know of Obergefell now, but that was just after the fact. At that moment, how in the world could you do that when you have Humphreys, which was a nine to zero opinion of the Supreme Court directly? I mean, it wasn't like a different manifestation. It wasn't like a sodomy case or whatever. It, it was straight up. I mean, it was the same principle, right? But nonetheless, they're like, screw it. I, we're, we're ready for it. This is who we are as a people. What do you think any radical new Supreme Court opinion that created a right is? By definition, it's against our history and tradition and almost always previous case law. So by definition, there were lower courts that got it there. So not just the Supreme Court is always willing to overturn precedent when it's going to the left, but the, even the lower courts are willing to overturn Supreme Court precedent when it's going to the left. It happens all the time, every day that happens. But I wanted to give you the powerful example of Obergefell because everyone knows about that gay marriage. It was the first time the Supreme Court ever agreed to overturn a precedent that was previously voted on unanimously. But yet even the lower courts were willing to do that. And we are to believe that somehow Roe is going to be overturned? Are you kidding me? You never find that on the other side that a lower court Republican and really not even the Supreme Court because they're not like Clarence Thomas would overturn it. But there's a mechanical thing you need to understand here. A mechanical thing. Not only do we not have the type of Republican appointees on the Supreme Court that are going to overturn Bad precedent. And I've said this before. I showed it to you with this radical opinions that you can't give the death penalty to a juvenile murderer and then expanding on it. You can't even give life without parole. And then all these like things that they're doing on criminal law, which is crazy that Roberts and Cal, all these people have made it very clear they're not going to reverse. But there's something that people need to understand that this Fifth Circuit life case demonstrates. Everyone's saying there's now this effort to have you know, red state legislatures pass things that you know, they're not nibbling around the edges like, like this. They're almost directly contradicting Roe, which is good. But they're like, let's get it in the courts. Because the understanding is we have more favorable judges up and down the bench and certainly on the Supreme Court, and we'll get Roe overturned. And this is how you do it. Here's what they don't understand. These people like Roberts and Kavanaugh and really Alito in many ways, they're reluctant to do it to begin with. 
but without a circuit split, they will for sure not do it. A circuit split kind of forces their hand, like they have to resolve it. One circuit is one thing, one is another thing. But we've seen and we've cited this many times on public prayer. There's a case that they refused to take. Thomas hit them on for not taking up the case. Gun cases where there is a circuit split and they still don't take it up. Because they don't, because Roberts and Kavanaugh know if they if they're forced to take it up, they have to rule the right way, right? I mean, based on even their philosophy, it's just so egregious. So they just quietly don't take it up. That's the game. It's called the shadow um, docket. It's almost like shadow banning. You know, that's what they do. How that's how they quietly allow them to stand. But you could sure as hell guarantee that if there's no circuit split, they ain't taking it up. So here's the deal. We don't we often don't even have circuit splits on new bed cases where like new, new rights for illegal aliens. One court after another is creating it. It's hard to get a circuit split. But when you're talking about things that are unambiguously against Supreme Court precedent, like, you know, abortion laws after six, 15 weeks, you're not going to get a single Republican judge anywhere. I don't care if it's the Fifth Circuit. I don't care if it's the Eighth Circuit. They will not side with you. I'm just telling you. Because they're just not going to go against Supreme Court precedent. That's a reality. As such, the left is going to run the table and win in every lower court. They win in every lower court. You will never have five Supreme Court justices that will take our appeal if we don't have a circuit siding with us. They're just not going to take it. That is about, it's a 15-minute presentation of me, but if you don't understand it, listen again. That is why we will never, ever overturn. Ever, ever overturn Supreme Court precedent like Roe and all this stuff. And in fact, the opposite is happening. Even with these better judges, the left is successfully creating new rights against good Supreme Court precedent. And the Supreme Court is very slow, if ever, to police them. Let me give you another case to give you the flip side of this. Fox News. U.S. judge in Arizona rules Border Patrol must provide mats blankets for detained migrants. Federal judge in Arizona ruled Wednesday that certain U.S. Customs and Border Patrol facilities and the state must provide clean mats and thin blankets to migrants who are held for more than 12 hours and allow them to clean themselves. The ruling came after a seven-day trial in which attorneys for migrants who sued back in 2015 claimed the facilities were overpopulated, overly cold, and unsanitary. The order reportedly makes permanent a preliminary injunction that was issued by U.S. District Judge David Burry in 2016, which legally required the Tucson sector to provide mats and blankets to detain migrants. It also prevents Border Patrol from holding migrants who have been fully processed for more than 48 hours and bans the practice of using bathrooms to house detainees because of overflow. Now, folks, um... Now, let, let me just say just politically here before we get to uh, um, just just legally, you know, this might this sounds great. Like, how do Daniel, do you want to you know deny them, you know, basic condition? No, no, look, clearly what you understand what's going on here. Border Patrol goes out of their way to accommodate people who invade our country. And as I said earlier this week, um, from leaked just, you know, interviews with them they actually view that as their primary job and that's what my friend who's in border patrol is very upset about um they're all about that but obviously you just have circumstances what happens is they make it impossible for us that they won't cooperate they'll flood us with numbers so like you know for a moment they, they, they you know you could find a few people that didn't get their mat and they didn't get their shower opportunity i mean it's impossible to service that and then they sue us okay obviously you know we want to certainly enforce our sovereignty, get them out of here. They have no rights. Um, but yeah, we're always going to treat any human with dignity when we find them, and no one's trying to do otherwise. But there is no unalienable right to that, and there's no right to sue in court. I mean, it's beyond settled law. But every day, they screw, and this sounds very innocuous, but they said you can't hold them for more than 48 hours. These are huge loopholes, and again, the lawyers who are suing are also part of like the caravans. 
and they're part of fomenting the caravans and the migration. So what they do is they go to the courts, they poke a hole, and then they use that as a magnet to go and get more people in. It's push-pull. These are devastatingly consequential, even if they don't sound like it. Every day, liberal district judges, because I'm a good person. But there's no district judge that will say, I'm a good person and, and therefore you can't kill babies. That is the reality. I want you guys to see, if you remember one thing from my judicial discussion, the capacity of a good judge to do good is nowhere near the capacity of a bad judge to do bad. If you tell judges you are God and anything you rule is the law, the bad guys are the ones who will just manipulate that. That's why we need to fight against this. Folks, here is where I differ from everyone else in this phony movement and why I think not only are they distracting us by focusing on appointing better judges and making people believe that we're winning the judiciary when it's worse than ever rather than fighting judicial supremacism and pushing in the, in the body politic the idea of decompartmentalism like Lincoln. The reason is it's worse than that. They are downright becoming a defeat mechanism. Because they believe they're winning it, they're not doing what it takes to win. What do I mean? If I were in charge of the Republican Party, if I were Donald Trump, and I, let's say Republicans win back, I mean, winning back the House doesn't even matter that much, this, but Trump wins re-election and they keep the Senate. So they have the ability to nominate and, and confirm any judge. You could imagine what's going to happen. What's going to be the first thing people think about? Oh my gosh, the left is going to be like, Republicans on top of that one another term. You look at Ruth Bader Ginsburg's health. You even look, look at Breyer's um, age. Oh my, that, that's it. Like, we're done. The Republicans have the Supreme Court for a lifetime. That's going to be the perception. Folks. That is precisely when we have the leverage to go to the Democrats and say, let's shake on a grand bargain. See, when they think they're winning the courts, okay, they, um, they're not going to agree to get rid of judicial supremacism, right? Because they, they want it. That's when we need to say, you know what? Here's the deal. We're going to appoint our people to the courts, but we're going to take the political power out of the courts. And we're going to agree on a judicial reform package. Certainly it will get rid of universal injunctions, not just nationwide, but universal. And that applies to the Supreme Court as well, outside of the plaintiffs. Again, that, that is the current law and constitution. You don't even need a law, but whatever, you know what I mean? To reiterate that, to take certain issues away from the courts, that political issues need to decide, be decided by the people. And if you want to make a bargain, it might have to include some issues we like, but you would be stupid and uninformed not to take that deal if you're a conservative because it will benefit us 95% of the time. But because the Republican phonies don't view it the way I do and they believe we're on our way to winning the courts and certainly if they win the election, they will. They're not seeing what you and I see. The one-way ratchet, the left will always do their things, the right will, won't. Even when we get nominees, we don't get Clarence Thomas's because they don't really exist. All the things we talk about, the one-way street, they think we'd be giving up all these great victories. So they would never, they would actually vigorously oppose my idea. But I think it's the right thing to do for a republic. And just also politically, I do believe on net, it's politically much better for the right than it is for the left. That is what a statesman would do at that point. Rather than somehow thinking, oh, see, the left is going to think in perception, especially their base. They're not bright about this. They'll think, oh, we're going to lose Roe v. Wade. We're going to lose Obergefell. You're not losing it. And anyone who thinks that is dumb. So you're, you're not losing your chance to overturn Roe v. Wade. You take the issue of life away from the courts and you give it to the state legislatures where it needs to be. And then that's the way you're pro-life because then Mississippi 
boom, they could do whatever they want. And this this would already be law. I mean, it is law, but, you know, be implemented and um, unrivaled. That is what needs to happen. That is what needs to happen. You're never going to get California. They're going to do what they want anyway. I mean, this is the joke. Even if you had this judicial supremacism where we struck down their things and we mandated it, do you think they'll listen for a minute? Look at what they already do with the few times we benefited from that so-called striking down gun laws with Heller. It's a joke. I'm in Maryland and I'm burdened like anything. I can't get so many different things. I can't carry. I don't have a carrier's permit to this day. That's the thing. So I know some gun rights ad- advocates would would you know be a little bit upset about this, but how much have we benefited from that? They're not going to listen. I'm just telling you, if you had, let's say, the equivalent of Heller for carry, right? Let's say you have the Supreme Court finally says, you know, there's totally the right to bear arms shall not be infringed on bear means to carry. And you could carry. I'm just telling you, do you think suddenly they're just going to like fall and collapse like what Republican states did with gay marriage? No. So you may as well at least benefit that we don't have our stuff so-called struck down, at least in the red states. Right now, it's a one-way street. So at least make it a two-way street. The notion you're going to use judicial supremacism to get a one-way street on the left, it's just, it's just naive on so many levels. But that, my friends, is the golden calf. That is how the golden calf of, oh my gosh, judges, it, it's distracting everyone, it's, 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 and it's, it's strategically making us not do what we need to do. We're rooting the opportunities we need to. We're legitimizing judicial supremacism even more because when we, when we say we're winning the courts, now we have no leg to stand on to push back against all these radical judges that ultimately still rule against us. Oh, I thought we won the courts. Well, no, clearly we didn't because we have all these radical rulings. Well, I mean, they're jamming through all these nominees and they're bragging about it. So you don't have much of a leg to stand on to say, you know, you know, you invest in the judicial casino and then you lose. And then because of it, we're elevating Mitch McConnell to God status and allowing him to screw us on everything else because he has so much political capital with Republican voters. This is the discussion you will not hear anywhere else, but I can tell you there is no discussion of greater importance in our republic. And just before I transition to the final part of the show, which is really a good transition because we're going to talk about just crime and everything, one of the areas where judicial supremacism has really killed us that, that a lot of people don't realize is crime. Um, I cannot overstate the importance of how the how much the federal courts have created so many rights for criminals over the last number of years that have made it so hard to convict people and have ensured that so many people die as a result of the worst i'm not talking about dr- like even drugs or anything i'm talking about I mean, a lot of people die from that but you know just straight up the most violent horrible human beings alive that we should all agree need to be locked up and often given the death penalty in the case of murder. Um, no, it's it just, th- there are crazy things happening by a lot of Republican judges, including Gorsuch. Um, and that's, that's it. So that's something to keep in mind. I wish I could write a piece just detailing 20 or so cases and, and their consequences. Some of you who are lawyers or schooled in this and, you're familiar with it you could help me put together a list it would take a lot of work and i just don't have the time to do it but people don't realize we are getting killed on that issue and and one other thing on that note before i just get to the crime stories and we are running out of time josh hammer you might have seen put out on twitter last night that he's hearing rumors in legal circles and i i haven't spoken to him yet where he's hearing that from that gorsuch is going to screw us on title seven of civil rights the Civil Rights Act. So th- these are the cases where, again, I think there was one circuit that we did get in the right direction, but the others weren't, and they are taking it up. This crazy notion that the Title Seven, which was clearly meant for blacks, um, applies discrimination law to someone who cuts their balls off and wants to call themselves a woman or a man and that type of thing. 
applies to the sexual alphabet soup agenda. Um, and that would, you know, employment, work, workplace employment. So, you know, if someone wants to come in one day and dress up like a freak show and just ruin the decor in there, and if you would fire them, you would be in violation of Title VII because um, in the 1960s, they certainly had in mind transgenderism when they wrote that. Um, you would think that would be the type of thing where every Republican appointee would, you know, that, that would be a no-brainer, and even a lot of Democrats. But he's talking about this rumor. Now, look, it's unsubstantiated. I have no evidence. It could be Gorsuch will wind up being solid. It could be he'll write the majority opinion or, you know, hopefully majority opinion and write it emphatically. But the broader point is we don't know that when it comes to the most unalienable things, a citizen is a citizen and an alien is an alien. A man's a man, a woman's a woman. Basic things. We can't even guarantee that the judges we bled for and campaigned to elect Republicans solely for appointing better judges are at least going to rule with us on the most basic. Again, these aren't even like, oh, that they're going to overturn past bad president precedent. We have no guarantee that they're even going to stop in their tracks. The new insane BS rights created by lower liberal court judges. We, 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 we know where Thomas is. On this issue, I could tell you Alito will be with you. The other three GOP appointees? Uh, I think, I hope, I don't know, probably. But that, that's the thing. That's the problem. And, and again, this is why we are nowhere near majority. Anyway, way too much time on that, but I think it was important. Crime. We have tons of stories I have about 20 in my hopper. We'll see how many we can get to. I want to get to at least two of them. Um, it's it's all about it's all about the criminal. You look everywhere, Republicans. It's it's a prison reform, prisoners, prisoners. Oh, what, what, what we could do for them? There's no balancing of equities. There's no understanding of how many people needlessly die. We have a system that is all about people like Gerald Washington. But not about people like Reginald Larry. What do I mean? Houston. This happened last week, but it came out in the local media there. Not too many articles, like one or two media outlets. Um, thank you. It might have been Brian. I forget who one of our listeners sent this to me. Thank you. Um, and I, I will have an article out on this today. Gerald, um, R Reginald Larry is dead because of jailbreak. And he is dead because of jailbreak. That is not only in New York and California, but is alive and well in Texas because there is no such thing as a red state. And Houston, Harris County is really, really bad. It's, it's as bad as California. So. Reginald Larry, 29 year old guy. Just going to visit his grandmother in Houston, he stopped at a corner store. The details aren't clear, but at some point on the way out. Or the way in, this guy pulled up in a car and just shot him dead. His name was the, the suspect, allegedly Gerald Washington, 27-year-old of Houston. Now, just to set the table before we get into the details, this appears to be, unless there's something funny here, but it appears to be literally just a random innocent guy. So a lot of people dismiss my claims when I say, oh, crime is going up. Well, these, these are mainly gang on gang murders, like as if who cares? It's not true. I mean, th that is a lot of the murders, but there are plenty of so many innocent people that are victimized because of jailbreak. Who is Gerald Washington? This is a man who now... I haven't had time to verify all of this, so I'm just basing it off of the media on a couple of things I saw with Harris County court records. But this man had a history of criminal trespassing, assault resulting in bodily injury in 2013. He served 30 days and was given parole. He spent 45 days in jail in 2016 for evading arrest. <laughs> he seemed to have a lot going on, barely served time. In 2018, I think May 2018, he was arrested on two burglary accounts, or it might have been two separate times, two separate incidents. 
despite his prior record. So again, no first timers are locked up for anything. I'm sick of hearing that they're not locked up and even serious stuff. But this was like he had two of these and he already had at least four arrests before. Again, assault resulting in bodily injury. This man was given parole, deferred judgment, a.k.a. parole. Now, we talked about a lot how they're given these ankle bracelets and they're worthless. They, they don't deter violent criminals. There aren't enough officers manning them, the ability to, to, to get on them. And you're going to see there's, there's endless cases of this. So they're always like, why do we need to spend money on locking people up? Just have home confinement and you know parole and we'll monitor them. It's such it, it's total BS. But he wasn't locked up. He was given parole later that year on October 5th, 2018. He was charged with murder and aggravated assault for shooting two other women. So he murdered, allegedly murdered, he shot three women in a car. He, one was killed, straight up first degree murder. Um, one of them, according to ABC 13 of Houston, was shot so many times that she played dead. She was in the hospital for a month and in rehab for two months. She said she was shot between six or seven times. The third one, I don't know how badly she was shot. So you would think that would warrant the death penalty, right? This guy, despite his prior record, and by the way, he violated the terms of the previous parole. I forgot to mention that the, with the burglaries, and they kept like indulging it and changing the conditions, but he was never incarcerated for violating parole. Folks, even after this, he was given 200000 bond which usually means you only have to pay 10%, and he was let out. Well, he was let out a month ago in January, and in February, he's accused of murdering Reginald Larry. His family wants answers. But where are the politicians to go around with people like Reginald Larry rather than Alice Johnson and Kim Kardashian's fat, smelly rear end? Where? I'd like to know. Tell me who they are, because I can't find them. And this is not some sort of anomalous case. This happens all the time. All the time. It's happening everywhere. Even murder one with massive histories that show a proclivity of jumping hearings and everything, they are not held. In New York, they're let out without bail at all. Here, they're given low bail relative to what they did. And by the way, Harris County is in the process. They are getting rid of bail just like New York. We reported last month on this female cop who was allegedly killed by this Dwayne Henderson guy, the guy who was caught on video last year bragging about how he gets out for nothing. He had, he had like a, a selfie video he took of himself, and it was true. He always got out for nothing. It did, he had massive criminal history, um, was always bail breaked out. He killed a cop and was initially given 150,000 bond. Now, since then, I looked up, it looks like it was revoked. I don't know if that was because of public outrage and the judge got embarrassed. I don't know what the case, what happened there, but you see that there was a inclination to even give him bond even then, killing a cop. And folks, you know how red counties and blue states, like they feel their hands are tied and they have to be sanctuaries? Well, blue counties and red states is may as well be like New York. They do what they want. So you know that Texas passed a law, um, you know, outlawing sanctuaries. Hold my beer. Houston is a totally a sanctuary, at least in certain circumstances. So what, one of the things, this is where bail break merges with sanctuaries. See, if you let them out so quickly that they don't even have to post bond in an arraignment, so ICE often doesn't even have enough time to look into it and put a detainer on. So they're not allowed to violate a detainer, but what their strategy is to let them out so quickly that ICE doesn't get a chance to even do it. Rather than you would think they would want to know if this guy is illegal to get him out, right? Why would you want other countries' criminals there? Well, they do. Emilio Durarte Lone, an illegal alien from Honduras, he, and he actually had a deportation order from a judge, was arrested for DWI in December. He was released immediately without being turned over to ICE. 
He was given a court hearing in January 24th. Of course, he failed to show up. This man remains a fugitive. Remember, folks, drunk driving is one of the most recidivist crimes imaginable. According to Mothers Against Drunk Driving, the average DUI suspect had driven 80 times while intoxicated before being arrested. It, it is, I mean, I mean, the enormity of how many Americans are killed from illegal alien drunk drivers. Thousands. It is unbelievable. Needlessly. Lives cut down out of nowhere. Brutal violence of, of, a, of a car crash. And again, I, I will be the first to tell you that this is a problem even outside of illegal immigration. We are not nearly as tough. You know, there, there are stories I forgot I saw recently. Three, four DUIs and this guy went on to kill someone. Because usually if someone's doing that, they're just all, all, just in general a really violent person as well. And they often wind up killing people even without DWI. But I'm just telling you, whether it's the second time or the third time, there needs to be serious mandatory minimums for repeat DWIs. I'm sorry. That's just a reality. But none of us have a voice in that because you can't lock up people because prison is not nice. It's mean to the, to the criminal. I mean, I mean, we used to laugh about that stuff as being like, you know, the, the green-haired hippie leftist or something. I mean, every person I know on the right is saying this crap. So there's that. One more story, and we'll close out the week. Spring Valley, New York. Just three months ago, this man was charged with attempted rape at Nyack Hospital. Listen to this. Bail was set, and it's not clear why he was out in the street. CBS 2's Tony Aiello spoke exclusively with the woman attacked in November. So this, this woman was attacked in November. In the middle of the night, he came in, attacked me, tried to rape me, molested me. Good thing I was able to somehow get him off, the woman said. She was, at, she was in a hospital bed, folks. I think the suspect was also receiving some sort of care there and went into her room. Could, I mean, could you imagine that? Someone, I mean, I don't know what, what you know, this woman was dealing with. Um, but, oh my, I mean, according to the police... He held her down by the throat, told her, shut up and do not scream. Pull your pants. Pull down your pants. Um, he choked her. She has scratches around her necks, bite marks on her side. Lying in a hospital bed. Okay, so whenever you hear these subhuman, and, and again, I, I just, you know, in honor of my wife and respect to my wife and this audience, I'm going to try not to curse. But think of adjectives to describe these utter depraved leftists that are like nonviolent, no level offenses. So, I mean, you have a guy that maniacally tries to rape a woman in a hospital bed, okay? He was let out on 100,000 bail, which again usually means you only have to post 10,000. That was in November. Now, well, he was released in December. Um, what happened on Tuesday, Glauden allegedly used a kitchen knife to murder beloved library security officer, Sandra Wilson in Spring Valley, a library security officer. Again, another, this is not like a gang on gang violence, total innocent person murdered because a guy who attempted to rape a woman in a bed was let out and there is no clamor for criminal justice reform, of how to solve this stuff, how to ensure that either trials are sped up or these people are held so that they're behind bars. No. I mean, this is the thing I say all the time. If you want to point to one, two, three cases here and there where you think people are over-incarcerated and you want to work on that together, let's shake hands. I'll work on that. But could we work on the hundreds of thousands of the worst repeat violent, high-level offenders that are just let out and then people are needlessly raped and murdered when it's 100% preventable. Why am I the only one saying this? Why am I the only one focusing on this? Because we have a movement 
full of fag Teletubbies. I'm sorry, that's what it is. I'm sick of this. We need a movement. There's a GoFundMe page for Sandra, Sandra Wilson. I mean, I'm just so pissed. I'm, I'm, I'm going to explode here. I lost my train of thought. I had a whole bunch of other things I was going to talk about. Mick Mulvaney, White House chief of staff, being the 10th White House guy saying, we need more labor. We need more foreign workers. Remember yesterday's show, amazing show with uh, um, Hillary Gam. If you haven't heard it, make sure to listen to it. I'm going to have a good article on, on that today. The big lie of Silicon Valley and the need for more, you know, H1B and more of this stuff. It's such garbage. Issue after issue after issue you're not going to hear about in this broken, loser, lazy, unprincipled, conservative media. That is the biggest thing that needs to change. You should know. Because that's what influences Trump. And whatever influences Trump is what's going to happen. He's very powerful. He's a double-edged sword. He'll do the right thing if you direct him. He won't if you won't. But in the long run, we need to think beyond Trump. You know, we need to think three, five, ten years down the road. What is it we want to create? What sort of movement? And um, this is what we need to do. Many of you have suggested that you're interested in starting a Facebook fan group. And when I say fan group, I don't want it to be like, oh, Daniel Horowitz is awesome. I, I hate it. I mean, you know, I'm not like this. It's not about me. More about networking to try to work on issues together, get the stories out. Victims of crime, ways raise awareness to things. Let me know if you guys are willing to um, do this. Email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. I could put a few of you guys on an email chain together. And you guys who are more uh, technologically inclined than I am and know how to work Facebook better than I do could work on this. And we could um, we could work out something, how we could kind of do this together. Um terrific week keep sending these shows around keep leaving five star reviews at itunes again it does help us get more visibility have a terrific weekend with your family make sure to stay armed and stay vigilant till next time god bless you all